have thought you'd have wanted to go back to work. Mary's got a bit of a thing for the delivery driver. She doesn't like me making sarky comments when she's trying to flirt with him. Well, I could call it flirting. It's more like a constant stream of verbal diarrhoea mingled with a bit of manic laughter. Do you know, he asked her once if she had a boyfriend and she said, no, but I have got anxiety and a pogo stick. What? <laughs> well, look, look, if you've got a bit of time off, then why don't we um, have a, another brew at Roy's, my treat? No, I shouldn't really. I should get back. Chicken curry. Chicken curry. Chicken curry. Chicken curry. Welcome to episode 213 of the Talk of the Street, an unofficial Cornish and Street Catch-Up podcast that isn't in the least bit surprised that out of the wealth of cuisine from India, from Vindaloo, Balti, Madras, Rogan Josh and Tandoori, Kev thinks Abby's favourite is a good old-fashioned chicken curry. I'm Gavin. <laughs> and I'm a hot tamale. I think we're all a little bit hot tamales. Yes, with with forgiveness to our, our UK friends, because I know they've had it much worse this week than we have. Temperature-wise, oh. if my ability what? to convert Celsius into Fahrenheit oh, okay, is... Okay, here's fun. 40 degrees Celsius is... 104. 104. Yeah, 104 it's, in that London. In that London. Yeah, it's funny because like when all of these people are talking about 40 degrees, in your mind you're thinking... Oh, that's chilly. I'll put, yeah, I'll put a sweat not, on. That's not that bad. Mm-hmm. I don't mind 40 degrees. I saw a, a fun a fun description of the differences in, in temperatures and and from zero to a hundred. Mm-hmm. And have I said this before? I feel like mm. I may have said this before. Fahrenheit zero is very cold. cold. Yeah. A hundred is hot. It's very hot, yes. And Celsius or centigrade uh-huh. zero is cold mm-hmm. and a hundred is dead. <laughs> and in Kelvin, zero is dead. And a hundred is dead. So, so those are the differences between the main ways of measuring yeah. temperature. Yeah, I think, I and and I think I think we established this back when we were doing common language. I've said it on something before. That's that the first time I've said that. Fahrenheit makes much more sense, except of course when you talk about the Does freezing it? temperature, because freezing in Celsius is zero, and freezing in Fahrenheit is thirty-two. Yeah, but, but in Celsius, zero is freezing. The, but a hundred's boiling, so water freezes at zero and boils at a hundred. So that kind of right. makes more sense. But when you're talking about the outside temperature, when you're saying how hot or how cold it is outside, when you say forty degrees, that doesn't sound too hot, even if even if you're thinking, you know, median temperature. But it's not the median temperature. It's hundred and four degrees. It's very very hot. Median. If you were if you were thinking about it being like a middle point between freezing and boiling, oh, I see what you mean. Right. yeah, yeah. This isn't that podcast. <laughs> no, we stopped doing that podcast for good reason. Uh, well, not for good reason. We no, kind of a good reason. We, just we kind of ran out of we. Well, we ran out of topics, and I think I have like a running list in my head that I never write down, and I probably should write down because then maybe we could. Do it again. Because remember, we've gotten messages from people asking us to do it again. This, this more than usual feels like a conversation for another time. 
<laughs> How were you this week? Other than other mafting. than hot mafting. Yeah, it's been all right. It's been a quiet week in Lake Wobegon. We uh, we're just kind of chilling, preparing for the the return of one child, and then the departure of another. We have a 16 year old in the house now. Mm-hmm. Somebody had a Again. birthday. Kids, they grow up, and they get weird haircuts. They do indeed. <laughs> they get Ronaldo haircuts. Who is still a thing? Yes. Who knew? Yes. Yeah, even 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 his uh, his his hairstylist said, you know, you look like a proper soccer player now. Yeah, he was rolling on the floor, clutching his shin <laughs> at the time. <laughs> and that is this week's joke. <laughs> Hopefully, we have something else in in the docket well, because that does not hold up to last week's joke, which well, was fantastic. Let me tell you, I, I've written the notes and it ain't looking good. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> How are you this week, besides math day? Uh, um, I'm listless and very tired. I'm not sleeping all that great because of the heat. Because of the heat. Yeah. It's not pleasant. Maybe if you took your undercrackers off, you'd be cooler. It's, they're so thin, <laughs> these elderly underpants. That we're not, I, I doubt it would make very much of a difference. We were talking about the temperature back in Stirling, uh-huh. where I used to live, being in the 90s mm-hmm. in our terms. Right. And that, my memory of it being very warm in Scotland is much, much worse than it is here because we don't have air conditioning anywhere. Well, Mm-mm. in stores and stuff, but in your house you don't because Mm-mm. you would never need it. It's, it's a trick you to do. heat your house, right? Right. And the house. But this is, is just summer, Helen. Why can't people is... just understand that this is just summer? Yeah, fuck that. Yeah, it's but... summer in hell. <laughs> summer in hell is much worse. Anyway. Shall we preamble, my dear? Yes, please. Give us some of that diabolic coding news. Now, there's a lot to cover here. Uh Uh-oh. Wet the sweat from my brow. Lord of mercy. (laughs) I need some lemonade and a fan for my face. That's a southern accent. (laughs) Nominations for the Inside Soap Awards have been announced, and they have included a new category this year. They have? They have. It's called the All-Time Icon Award. And this is kind of like your, you know... Fellowship of the Academy type thing. Right, yeah. A Lifetime Achievement Award Mm -hmm. sort of thing. So your Bette Lynch's, your Hilda Ogden's, those sort of things. It's like iconic characters that, you know... Can't earn anything else at this point. The, the ones that tend not to be in the big storylines anymore, those ones. Right. Or are dead. Or oh, so have they, moved away. They don't even have to be alive? Probably not, if they're like all-time icons. So it's a Hall of Fame thing then. So it's no, no achievement that's happened this year, just you've served your dues. Right. And it doesn't seem like they've nominated anyone for it. So it's all just open for people to vote on i think oh. they're hoping that so we could make hope <laughs> if, we got, if we got a campaign together she's nominated for something already which we will get to okay. and i'm hoping she wins although i'm sure her parents are not hoping that she wins and we'll get to that oh cory nominees include this is for the hall of fame thing no this is for this is all the other marbles after the all-time icons so oh, these okay. are the regular nominees okay 
Georgia Taylor, Millie Gibson, and Sally Carmen for Best Actress. Right. No arguments for me there. They all did a great job this year. They all had, like, major storylines this year. And, you know, have been abused by the show this year. So oh. they all deserve whatever's coming to them. A statuette makes up for the abuse. Well, we'll see. David Nielsen, Michael Lavelle, and Mikey North for Best Actor. Okay. Mikey, I get. Mikey, I get. Mikey's been really pulling his weight this year. Um, I love Roy, and I love David, but it doesn't feel like he was really involved in an awful lot this year. Hasn't had a huge amount to do. No. And Kev's just shouted Abby. Oh, Abby! Abby! They should be giving the all-time icon award to his jacket. (laughs) (laughs) Then it can finally retire. (laughs) After 30 years of service. It would get its own dressing room. (laughs) I think it already does. (laughs) Oh, dear. Okay. Bill Fellows and Patty Bever for Best Newcomer. Although, I... Stu and Max have been on for more than a year, haven't they? I wouldn't really call them newcomers. Well, I don't know when their year starts right. and ends. Yeah, because this next category confuses me as far as that's concerned as well, because we have Maximus Evans and Rebecca Ryan for Best Villain. And Maximus Evans, wasn't he more or less out at this point? When was the trial? When did they finally... That was earlier this year. Was it? Mm. It feels like it was so long ago. Yeah, because he got off with it and... Right. I guess because because the attack itself happened so long ago. That was last year. Right, yeah. All right, that makes more sense now, Mm -hmm. if I think about it. So it's a a villainy award primarily for being a nasty bit of work after the fact. Right, and getting caught, Mm. finally, yes. Jimmy Harkinson and Maureen Lippman for Best Comedic Performance... No arguments there. No arguments from me at all. Maureen Lippman, as an aside here, has signed her contract, so we are getting more Evelyn in Thank the future. God. Thank God. Thank God. That's a tweet. Thank, Thank God, God, because yeah. Fizz and Tyrone would just fall apart without her. I'm not sure if we would have been in some weeks without Evelyn. No. No. She's so necessary. Anyway, uh, David Nielsen and Molly Gallagher. And Jamie Kenna and Alan Halsall for Best Double Act. This is the award given for the best couple who's not romantic. Okay. So, although some arguments could be made for Jamie Kenna and, and Alan Halsall to be in the best romance category as well. But that's just, that's just my fan fiction. <laughs> right. Isabella Flanagan. And Jude Reardon for Best Young Performer. Now, this is a performer under the age of 17 at the time of nominations. Now, the reason why I think Isabella's parents may be hoping and wishing and praying that she doesn't win is because her sister, Amelia, is also a nominee in this category. So can you imagine From one... From the Emmerdale, yeah. Yeah. Can you imagine one of the other girls winning? And Amelia's and then, the older of the two. And then the parents having to bring both of those girls home... And commiserating with one and congratulating the other. Well, this, Awkward. This is how you find out which one's your favourite. <laughs> thank God, thank God, none of Jude's brothers were nominated. Although I don't know if they're well, another actors. I don't know if they're in soaps. Mm. Hmm. Anyway, 
the Allahans and the Platts are both up for best family. And honestly, no argument there because the Platts have been very interesting this year, I think, and continue to be so. But yep. the Allahans will always be my favourite family. They never win, though. That's the thing. They never, they never seem to do enough to get over the line. I hope this is... It's because too many this, racists this float in this. bucks the trend. Because the Allahans are, by any measure... The best family. Just wonderful, right? Yes. Abby's battle for Alfie and Fizz's love dilemma are both up for best storyline. Sorry, Summer's diabetes and Kelly's both parents dying of cancer and a not a bullet. What did a shovel? A shovel to the head. A shovel to the head. Yeah. Sorry, Kelly's mom dying of cancer. You don't measure up nope. to Fizz's love dilemma. What the hell? Mm. What the hell, Gav? I'm not sure either of those storylines are all that strong, to be honest, but you. Yeah. I mean, Abby's battle for Alfie included doing illegal things. <laughs> getting rid of and Imran. Getting away with it, kind of. Hmm. Hmm. <sighs> anyway, Ellie Mulvaney and Jack James Ryan and Sally Diniver and Joe Dutine for best romance. Next year it'll be uh, Kelly and Addy. I'm, I'm hoping it, it's uh, Amy and Jacob yeah, this year. Me too. They've been great. I'm also grateful that Summer and What's-His-Name aren't on here. Oh, there's barely a thing. <laughs> God, when he showed up tonight, I was like, who is that? Right. <laughs> Who's that guy? Who Where'd is he that come guy? from? Imran's shock death and sinkhole horror slash Johnny's drowning for best show to stopper. Oh, God, that's, so that's October. That's going back to last yeah. year. Again. Sucks to be you, Kelly's mom. And some are almost dying of diabetes, mm. etc. Cetera, et cetera. And finally, Corey for Best Soap. Obvs. Obvs. So, yeah, lots of nominations. Lots of people, lo lots of questionable nominations, and also lots of nominations that we're quite excited for. Well, they're always going to get lots of nominations because there's only like half a dozen soaps to choose from, right? And that's one of the big ones. So, you expect to see lots of. Corey nominations and lots of EastEnders nominations and lots of Emmerdale nominations. Right. Where it's interesting is what they choose to nominate. Right. And this year, I think there's some that I agree with completely and there's some that I don't really agree with because yeah, I don't think I find that the storylines have been that compelling. No. But and I some found of the performances have been really good. Other storylines than what they nominated, much more compelling. Yeah. And and to be honest with you, it's the, the promise of some storylines that haven't materialised right. that I've liked the look of, going back to the upskirt and stuff and the whole right. uh, drink spiking fiasco oh, that, that, God, that yeah. became other things ill-advisedly. Right, yeah, yeah. And yet all lost out to Fizz's love dilemma, which she didn't even have a dilemma until she got married. Yeah, it's only been a dilemma yeah. for the past few weeks. Yeah, seriously. And it's only really been a dilemma for Tyrone for a little bit longer than that. Right. I mean, they've had the little fleeting looks at each other, but I wouldn't right. have said it was a certainly not a I triangle. I mean, at Christmas, she completely shut him down. Right. Anyway. Anyway, I am, I am quite excited to see a nomination for Hope because she is so fantastic. I, think, I mean, all the kid actors, I think, are fantastic. I think Hope deserves it. I think Hope who we've loved previously, I think her acting is just coming on leaps and boundaries. Absolutely. Really, and, and they're giving her more to do. Mm -hmm. And she's handling it expertly, I would say. Absolutely. So I, I would hope that, that she gets some recognition for that. Mm -hmm. Jude picked them all up 
last year. This yes, isn't he did. these aren't newcomer awards. No, these are best young. But that might have been uh, his year last year. He hasn't, he hasn't been in really the very been much in it very much this, this year, year either. So. Yeah. Too busy with other stuff. Right. I'm looking forward to him coming back. Yes, me too. But um and but not yeah, being maybe not his year this year. Outside the door or whatever. You know. How they shout how sometimes they shout at the kids. When they're not there, but right. they're acting that the kids are there. Yeah. That has happened a couple of times. Anyway, that's Corey News. That's Corey News. Now it's our mailbag. Right. I've got mailbag this week. Do we have a mailbag this week? I'm terrible at looking. So if the people do write in on something other than Twitter, I'm, you're kind of lucky if I notice it. But anyway, mm-hmm. on the Podbean, which never happens, Blair from Whereabouts Unknown wrote, Hi, Helen and Gavin. Love, love, love the podcast. Aw. Thank you very much, Blair. <laughs> If you want to know how you get your stuff read out, tell us you love us. There you go. <laughs> Just wondering if you could link your weekly podcast to the episode numbers, as I sometimes find them out of sync. I just watched episode 10,670, but think you might be further ahead. I'll be adding the episode numbers to the podcast description and I'll announce it before we start talking about them in future. Oh. But for reference, Blair, this week we'll be covering episodes 10693 to 10698. Ooh. And We're so technical now. And now we'll podcast for coffee. All right. Thanks to Anonymous for buying us our coffees this week. Oh, nice. Lovely. Thank you, Anonymous. And we're not drinking coffee because we're recording this uh, on a Friday night again. It's also too feckin' hot. And it's too so hot. But sometimes a warm drink can help cool you down i i didn't even make coffee today i just had a cup of tea this morning because i didn't have my fancy um soy oat milk half and half oh it came later hashtag first world problems anyway diabetic problems (laughs) thank you anonymous for buying us our drinks this week we very much appreciate it if you want to buy us next week's coffee if you think this old bag of shite is worth any more than just the time it takes you to listen to it. You can buy us a coffee by going to ko-fi.com, that's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street, and we will be very appreciative. And I think now it's new tubes. This is a section where we talk about what's new on our YouTube channel. There's the regular stuff, there's last week's podcast, there's last night's Corey in under four minutes, and I'm afraid I have some bad news for you, Helen. Oh no. There is no extra stuff this week, as I am so pissed off with YouTube that, oh, no. our, that our plans for monetization have been crushed No. by Malcolm YouTube. Curse you, Malcolm. Curse you, Malcolm YouTube. <sighs> yeah, we won't be monetized. No, because of everybody's favorite segment, Corey in under four minutes. I'm not sure if that is what's doing it. What's happened is that they won't monetize you. And it's not important that we get monetized just to let you know that this is mostly done for, for a joke, right? But right, yeah, but you spend so much time on this. You deserve to get paid. It's love. Yeah, love, take it away from your family. <laughs> they deemed that the, uh, that the the content wasn't transformed enough. and But I think they're talking about the, the superb cuts that I do of uh, old classic Corey storylines rather than the under four minutes, because by any measure, those are transformed quite considerably down from 44 minutes to under four. Right, so, but the content is still, yeah, it's not changed. That's right, and I'm not, and there's no uh, critique right. being offered. So I can understand why it's not been 
it's more than size, but it was worth a shot. So anyway, if any of that tickles your fancy, you can head over to youtube.com slash the Talk of the Street podcast, smash that subscribe button, and then complain about using owned content that, in your opinion, hasn't been transformed enough to that notification bell. And now, this. 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 <laughs> you have to muscle in on everything. Yes. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to Last Year Tonight with me, John Oliver. Just enough time to quickly talk about particularly hairy kiwi. Oh, this was Dev's Balls. These were Dev's Balls. Dev's Balls, everybody. That's right. Dev's Balls. This was Dev's Scuddy Calendar and the fruit bowl that was covering his unmentionables. Showed a particularly hairy kiwi. I was Gavin and you were Team (laughs) USA. USA, USA, USA. Why? It was the start of the Tokyo Olympics. Oh, it was. The greased guy from Tongo was still your favourite. Yes. He was masked up, but still greased to the max. And still just massive. This was the first week I used the GTA-style storyline cards as the YouTube thumbnail. I got several million brownie points by accompanying you back to the movies for the first time to see some Marvel shite or other. I think it was Black Widow. You went to see Black Widow with me. What do you think I said? No, I'm agreeing with you. You went with me. And that's that's the last time you went to a Marvel thing. That's right. Camilla must never be queen. Yes. It's the week of the nutty calendar we shoot. We still agree on that. And Curtis removes himself for a fake dental appointment, but is yet to learn that you can't go anywhere in the street without being seen. Right. With construction work over budget and behind schedule, Billy finds his position as Archdeacon of the Cobbles untenable, much to Todd's horror. Oliver's death is still playing on Nick's mind when Natasha announces she's off to that London for a week and leaves him in charge of Sam and his posters. Poor Natasha. Miss her. Michael is the only character on the show who fails to recognise that Grace still has the hots for him. Thanks to Imran, Laura lands a cleaning job at the factory but spends most of her time arranging meetings with reporters. Fizz attracts the attention of the new suitor from the furniture thing, that's Phil, and soon she's Mm. being swept off her feet, leaving hope to use the potential of two daddies to wind everyone else up. Toya gets promoted because, sure, that was a year ago. What have you done, Toya, in the last year? Murdered her husband. Sold and tried to steal a baby. Sold any knickers? No? A worthy promotion then. Kirk probably doesn't smell. Don't call Tyrone mate. And our moment of the week was Dev and Addy checking out the Kiwi. And our boring moment of the week was Kirk and Chesney being two Kirk and Chesney. And that was Coronation Street and the talk of the street. This time last year. What happened to Chesney? Stop asking that, you. <laughs> Gemma was there. Gemma's been on, but no Chesney. Constantly footering about with her boobs. <laughs> She's stuffing crisps in there. She's pulling crisps out. <laughs> Mersey Tart spotted, I think, that she was stuffing uh, tissue paper in her bra. Right, because it was probably week. very hot. She's trying oh, to mop up. you think that's to absorb? Absorb the sweat, yes. <laughs> All women do that. And all women keep things in their boobs. I've kept things in my boobs. You keep, Don't you just keep boobs in your boobs? <laughs> I've kept money in there. I'm too old to be learning these things. <laughs> Shall we dive in, my dear? Yes, please. Episodes, by the way. This is just for you, Blair. 10693 to 698. That's what we're going to be talking about. Nice. Our first storyline this evening. Nice. Debbie Downer. On Monday, Michael and James are alive and checking on Ed in hospital, who is also alive and will be, <clears throat> electricity pun coming up, 
discharged in a couple of days. <laughs> Aggie's still fuming and will be seen that Debbie later to have a word with her. Meanwhile, Debbie and Ronnie are in the bistro office. Debbie's trying to free up some money for the incoming compo claim. Ray Weinstein, as well as not getting the safety checks done, also cancelled the liability insurance. Too busy raping people. Ronnie insists, and she's just caught this now. Hmm. Ronnie insists that Ed and Aggie will be reasonable about this. Hmm. And I think that they are being reasonable. I think they are being reasonable in demanding everything that they deserve for this. But we'll get to exactly how much they're, de- they're demanding shortly. Yes. So they go and visit Ed and Debbie offer some five grand in compensations. Five grand enough? No. Oh. Fuck no. Which is what Aggie says. Yeah. Ed is going to be off of work for weeks and she's already had a word with Adam who thinks that they have a cast iron case. Yeah. She throws a check back in Debbie's face. And Debbie explains, that's all she's got. You better lawyer up then, says Aggie. Yeah. Back at the office, Ronnie looks on the bright side saying that they're still willing to listen. That's the Bailey's size. Mm. And maybe she should offer 20, 30,000. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's a lot of money. It's going to be out of work for quite some time. And also, you know, compensation and pain and suffering. I would say also medical bills, but they don't have to worry about that. She's just lucky she didn't accidentally electrocute someone in America. Right. Thankfully, though, they're all socialists in the United Kingdom. (laughs) And that's not a problem. He offers to lend her the money. Ronnie offers to help right, yes. Debbie out and lend her the money while uh, she's trying to free it up. She thanks him, but this is her shit show and she'll sort it out. He goes to test the waters as far as Aggie's golden number is concerned. That's uh, how much money she's wanting. Right, yeah. Not how many people she's, you know. <laughs> is, that what you, is that what you call it? Your golden number? Your golden number. It seems like that's what it could be called. <laughs> I don't think I I've think ever it's heard magic anyone. magic number, isn't it? I think that's what people call it. I thought three was the magic number. As much as that? <laughs> God, and I said there would be no jokes here. Debbie We're talking meets... about people we've slept with, not husbands. Oh. Debbie meets with the accountant who apparently has been trying to warn her for months about this stuff. Their debts far exceed what their properties are worth. They won't get a loan from the bank because of that, and their only options are to sell a share in the bistro which she doesn't want to do, no. or declare herself bankrupt, which, which she, she doesn't, certainly doesn't, doesn't want, want to, to do. do. Fuck that, says Debbie. Yes. Ronnie's getting short shrift from Aggie at the hospital, but Ed announces that, oh, he just wants a quiet life and he's going to go into that house deal with Ronnie after all. What? No. Says Aggie. She thinks that they're both mad, but Ed thinks that this will allow him to keep an eye on his brother. Back at the hmm. bistro, Ronnie is as high as a kite. He has some good news for Debbie, and he announces that his investment with Ed is on, and he's now the proud owner of a piece of shit land. Debbie, who was clearly about to hit him up for the money after all, right. can't hide her disappointment. Right, she swallows very hard. And he doesn't notice. No, of course not. He's looking straight at her. He doesn't notice. No. She, she looks like this. Yeah. Which is a great thing to do for a podcast. Yes. He doesn't notice that. He, Gav looks exactly like Debbie just now. <laughs> That's exactly the face she made. Wait, 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 wait. Do it again. All right, I'll post that later. (laughs) Now, remember, when you see that, that's the face that Debbie pulls (laughs) that Ed doesn't notice. Ronnie. Ed doesn't notice it either. (laughs) 
That's because it's M- not Merely there. Merely because he's not there. <laughs> on Wednesday, in the Rovers, Debbie offers to buy Ed and Aggie a drink, but there's only one thing that they want from Debbie. She insists... Money, 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 money. ...that's been sorted out as they speak because Ed now has been discharged as promised. Mm-hmm. Deb- he no longer has those gloves in his hands. Right, and his hair settled down again. Yeah. Just like yours. And he's got uh, sleeves on his shirt now. Just like yours. Debbie goes outside to speak to her accountant, who again makes a case for bankruptcy, but Debbie reiterates that it's not an option and she'll scrape together the money somehow. Oh, yes, I will. Debbie goes round to see the Baileys and offers 30000 but it's going to take me a little bit to pull it together. Money's been tight after COVID and stuff. Yeah, I wouldn't know anything about that, says Ed. Or? Or neither would Aggie. Right, yes. Yeah, he makes a comment about, no, it wasn't hard at all for the NHS. Mm-hmm. Aggie wants the money in one go because I guess she just doesn't trust Debbie. Well, would you? She wants all the money in one go and she wants it in two weeks. Debbie's cup starts to rattle on its saucer. She smiles and agrees and pretends that everything's fine while she's mm-hmm. pulling that face again. Right. And that's as far as we get with that storyline this week. Poor Debbie. Isn't there another scene where she's talking to Ronnie about tea? There is, but nothing really came of that, so I didn't bother writing well, it Well, it was... To me, it was a really interesting scene because she's talking about how... She's got all these really fancy teas there at the bistro. And then when she was sitting in Aggie's house drinking Aggie's tea, which was just run-of-the-mill. Supermarket special. Right. It tasted just the same. I thought there was an interesting metaphor in that. And that and she was coming to some conclusions about herself and and self-worth and it not being related to money or owning businesses and everything else no i cut that out to save time funnily enough right and yet here we are yes so that's as far as that storyline goes yeah. this week yeah poor debbie poor, De- poor Is debbie, it poor debbie? <clears throat> look i get that ray weinstein really put her in the shaft i get it i get it but but she she knew it was a snake when she picked it up. She did. She knew what he was like. So she shouldn't be shocked that when she picked him up, he bit her. She was that person as well, let's not forget. She was quite happy to shaft everyone else in the street. Absolutely. She was giving everybody the shaft. Including her brother. Including her brother. And I don't even know if that's legal or not. <laughs> it's not recommended. No. Unless you're, you know, royalty. No, no, no. No one less. <laughs> no one less. Um... But she's had quite some time to figure out that Ray had cancelled the liability insurance. Because that's been over a year now that he's been put away. Well, who, whose job is it to do that? Is it her job or is it the manager of the hotel's job? Or She's the big boss. She needs to be keeping they... tabs on all of these things. She needs to be aware. She's responsible, certainly the buck stops there. But I think you'd be looking for some assistance from your management team to help you. That's just what I The think. buck stops here. The buck definitely As does stop Harry there. Truman famously said and had written on his desk. And John Candy. Right, but he got it from Harry Truman. The Uncle Buck stops here. Right, yeah. Making massive pancakes. <laughs> Good pancakes. Big massive pancakes. That's like the one thing I remember from Uncle Buck. So Ronnie and Ed going into business together. Right. Building houses. Yeah. Seems that Paul's a bit of the, the brains behind that, realising they could actually squeeze four houses in there if they moved 
something in the middle. Right. Yeah. And it's nice that Paul is being treated as an equal and as a smart person. Is Aggie wise to be hesitant about this? Yes. Yeah. Yes. It's gambling especially again, since, it? especially since, just last week in another storyline, another character said, "It's bad to go into business with family." It's never wise to go into business with family, mm-hmm. you know, and she may have said it in a different storyline, but that doesn't make it any less true yeah. in this storyline. She also doesn't count herself in that. No. no, but she's not wrong. No. All right, then let's move on to the next storyline, which is Wendy flaming Papadopoulos Necrosia. On Monday, Abby and Wendy are in speed dial. Wendy's plucking up the courage to speak with Ken and avoid Tracy at the same time. Mm-hmm. She explains the lay of the land to Abby, how she had a fling with Ken, Tracy's never forgiven her, how it all got a bit nasty and she lied to Deirdre about how serious she and Ken were. She's also worried about what Deirdre's going to think when she sees her. No need to worry about that, says Abby. She's been dead for 18 years. She dead. She so, long dead. So Abby inexplicably manages to distract Tracy and lead her away from the street by dragging her to Nina's Rolls for a catch-up coffee. And this lets Wendy sneak onto the street on her tiptoes and knock on Ken's door. And you'll never guess what Ken says when he opens the door. What? What? Surprise, she says. Hiya! She has to come in. And after some consideration, he agrees and lets her. He seems worried that she's going to try and shag him again. She apologises for everything, though. Ken thought they made their peace with us years ago, mm-hmm. but she's sorry that she can't apologise to Deirdre for making her doubt what she meant to Ken, and he insists that Deirdre knew about that. Out of everyone in his life and they had their ups and downs or whatever, Deirdre and him were pretty much soulmates. Tracy's coming back from Nina's Rolls just as Wendy's leaving the house, and Tracy goes ballistic. What is it she, she calls her a, a, a frumpet? Or a trumpet? No, not a trumpet. Huh. A frump? A trollop. She calls her a trollop. Yes. T for trollop. Yes. Apparently. Sure. <laughs> Used to be T for toy in the ABC books that I got, but T for trollop these days. Oh, T for train. Ken tells her to wind her neck in, and he says goodbye to Wendy, suspecting that their paths will never cross again. You know what that means? Their paths will cross again. That's what the narrator thinks, yep. Later, there's a lovely wee scene between Ken and Tracy. He's a bit maudlin thinking about Deirdre. He never loved anyone the way that he loved her. And, and still... her picture's right behind him. Right. And it was wonderful to be loved back, he says. Yes. The bit I'm watching in Classic Corey at the moment, they do not love each other. <laughs> back at Wendy's, she's grateful to Abby for her distraction techniques. She feels at peace now that the guilt has been cast aside. But she has a wee look in her face that makes her seem like maybe she still thinks that she has some unfinished business in Ken's underwear. And that's as far as we get with that this week. Good Lord. Didn't she? She looked kind of... Now, I, I admit that so. I apparently... I'm very bad at reading Faces. Wendy Crozier's face and coming up with reasonable uh, no, translations seemed, of that. She seemed, she, she, to me, she seemed genuinely at, at peace. Like she and, and Ken had had their say in that, you know. The camera lingered on her a bit and Twyla wasn't a two-second smile fade or anything like it. Right. They, I think she it's seemed just, to be kind of considering something. I think it's just the camera lingering now that her husband's dead and Deirdre's dead because maybe she's going to get some no please maybe that's what's going to happen no because isn't Claudia coming back I don't know I don't need the spoilers officially 
as far as this podcast is concerned, I don't read the spoilers. It's not really a spoiler, though, saying a character's coming back. It's not yeah. saying what she's doing when she comes back. I think it spoils it. It spoils the surprise of her coming back. Eh. I don't really want to think about what goes on in Ken's Undercrackers. Thank you very much. Now, do you think they will go doggy style, or do you think that... What did I just say? Oh, sorry. <laughs> Neither one of them have the knees for that anymore, <laughs> Broom. <laughs> Seriously. I've opened a Pandora's box. <laughs> and Ken's than... underwear. <laughs> On Friday, Jack asks Kev for a hand with his leavers presentation. Oh. Kev seems... And he's dressed like Mr. Rogers. He is a little bit. Kev seems unreasonably grumpy about this as he's tied in the house for Abby and Wendy Flaming Crozier. But he promises to help at lunchtime. He promises to help at, at lunchtime. lunchtime. Later we see Abby, she's going to see Kev without Wendy. Wendy's, I don't know, off shagging giving Ken or them, Giving them time right. to speak together. And tells him that she has a green light to move back in next week. This calls for a celebration, says Kev. And he announces that he's going to make her favourite lunch. Chicken, chicken curry. curry. What about my project? Says Jack, who's Scottish all of a sudden. <laughs> fuck you, screams Kev. And fuck your stupid project. And Jack runs away. Like a 28-year-old. And Abby offers to help, but it's too Jack's, little too Jack's late for Jack. Jack's nose has been put out of joint by this. Well, and it's not necessarily wrongly out of joint. No, it's not at all. Kev, Kev's a jackass to his own child. He's, I don't know why he's so furious at him. Right. Jack's gone to him that he's having trouble finishing this presentation. You know why? Because Kev can't read. <laughs> Because Kev can't help because he's not good at school either. It uh, was a leavers presentation or something. I, I, right, I, yeah. So I, like I a speech or something. Is. Is it? I'm assuming so. I don't know what that is. But anyway, Kev has no interest in helping no. basically. No, Because he's not good at speaking. But then that we never find out what happens with that presentation because it was due today. Right, yeah. So we're never going to find it's out like, what happens. like, I'll help you tonight. And he's like, it's due this afternoon. And then he yells at him for taking so long to take care of it. And Jack's like, well... I was dealing with my stepmom attempting to flee to Costa Rica and kidnap her child and all this other stuff. And I told you all this this morning. Right? Yeah, Fandango. Seriously. <sighs> Fandango. Do you know, I think I'm taking this a little bit too personally, but every time I see Abby with that kid, uh-huh. all I think is, you killed him, Ron. The kid or Abby? Both of them. I'm, I'm finding it a little disagreeable how quickly Abby's got over all of this right. and the part that she had to play in it. Right. And how very quickly the system is just handing her that kid. When before Imran was dead, they were doing everything they could to keep that kid away from her. Mm. She was on her best behavior for a couple of weeks. Right. And she's managed to hoodwink somebody who's retiring right and they're thinking that she's the mother of the year i think abby is doing a fine job and i and i applaud her for it but still it's like they were treating her like the devil and now they just they can't wait to just hand this kid over to her the court system yes because imran's death just complicates things horrendously right it'll just make i mean they were so, so eager they were so eager to get that kid out of her hands that they opened the courts on good friday let's remember they did that's super important court <sighs> that that's going to god 
that still just burns my clams. Anyway. Burns your clams. Burns my clams. Well, before Helen's clams get burnt any further. I do declare that burns my clams. I said, I said. That's Foghorn Leghorn. That's Mrs. Foghorn Leghorn. Esquire. I am not a chicken. He is a chicken. He's a rooster. A rooster is a male chicken. Moving on. Moving on. Our next storyline. Talking of cocks. <laughs> our next storyline. Frank's a wank. On Monday. Dylan is playing PlayStation with Todd when Sean comes in to introduce him to Frank. The conversation between Frank and Dylan is, oh, let's call it very awkward. It's very stilted. To the point that Todd... Like cheese. Pulls his own eyes out and stuffs them in his ears. And in the rolls, Dylan has enjoyed a tour of the Undertaker's. Thanks, Mr. Shuttlecock, he says. Yes, Mr. Shuttlecock, I love that. But he's not being no. He's not being cheeky about it. No. Just genuinely thinks I, that his name's I Shuttlecock. Find it, I find it delightful that the Undertaker is now Dylan's grandpa. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Giving him a tour of the Undertaker's. I wonder what... I wonder what the stops are on the tour of the Undertaker's. Well, he didn't get to see a dead body. No. But I, I, I'm assuming they got to see the tables that they prepare the dead bodies on and stuff and where they drain the dead bodies and where they pump the, the chemicals and stuff in, hmm. you know, and where they dump those chemicals and the blood and stuff. Yeah. That's what you're assuming. And like, you know, the room with all the coffins and stuff. <laughs> and the refrigerator they're made, room. they made to order, aren't they? Coffins. No. They? Well, they have like the... Um, the samplers. The freebies. The, mm. Right. No, yeah, the ones that you see and then you order them to size. <laughs> I'm assuming. Right. But, but, you know, they do have them there for you to look at and maybe get into and make sure that they're comfortable. Well, I don't think they'll let you get in, do they? Well, they're Do you know samples. who needs to go on a tour of The Undertaker's? You, you and I. You and I both need to go. It's like, it's like, it's like, uh. How, I, how I've always wanted to go to the, the Mütter um, Museum in Philadelphia where they have all the weird specimens and jars. The Mütter? Yeah. M-U-T-T-E-R with an umlaut over the U. Oh, well, very heavy metal. <laughs> so, he's got a tour of the Undertaker's privately. Todd explains how fucking awful the atmosphere was when Dylan and Frank were introduced to each other. The Undertaker gives Frank the benefit of the doubt, remarking that maybe he needs time to warm to the idea. It's not everybody who really likes kids, says The Undertaker. Right, and and again, you know, when when you're in a relationship with someone, you don't think about the fact that they have kids maybe right, right away because you don't know necessarily if this relationship's going to work out. Right. Although you were the opposite of awkward when you met the kids. You went swinging on the swings. We did. In the park. And we threw stones into the ocean. I would have been swinging on the swings anyway. <laughs> Todd thinks that there's more to it than that. Frank just simply wasn't interested. Meanwhile, Sean and Frank are in the bistro when Frank suggests a cheeky wee holiday. Sean is excited and reckons that Dylan will be too. Yeah, well, about that, says Frank, and he was thinking that it was just going to be the two of them. What teenage boy wants to go on a romantic break with two homosexual menfolk? And Sean bites his lip, but not for that reason, Mm-mm. although it's unclear why. Back home, Sean tells Todd and George about his upcoming holiday, which will be Sons Dylan because they're waiting until he goes back to his mum. Todd thinks this is Frank's work, but Sean insists not. 
George pretends that he's happy for Sean and forces Todd to do the same. And it's ridiculous because when you take a kid that age on vacation, like you do a few things together and then you go back to the hotel and they fuck off to the arcade or whatever and Mm -hmm. give you your time. Right. Yeah. I'd much rather travel with teenagers than babies. On Wednesday. Less diaper changing. One would hope. (laughs) Sean and Dylan have a football game to go to And Frank appears like a bad smell He's taken some time off to spend with Sean And is disappointed that Sean's already got plans So Sean tells him to come along and watch Dylan play And reluctantly Frank decides to tag along After the game, poor Dylan is limping home after a crunching tackle And when Sean goes to get ice from Devs Frank has a go at Dylan for being a wuss during the game And calls him a coward He tells Dylan to man up if he was Dylan's dad, he'd be fucking ashamed. And this last bit is overheard by a returning Sean. Yeah. Caught in the act. And I was Caught rather... quite easily. And I was rather shocked by this because he didn't seem like this kind of person ever in what we've seen of him. But then again, we haven't really seen him with kids. But he hasn't seemed like a bully until George said he used to be a bully. Right. Up and until even, that point, he seemed fine. And even then, he seemed fine. What, wait, he hummed a song kind of in George's hearing, only he didn't know George was within his hearing? Hmm. That's it. Has he done anything else? He shouted at that person in the street, but that was from the gangs in New York, apparently. Oh, you didn't watch that. I keep remembering did he, did he shout, I'm walking here? Because that's not gangs in New York, that's... Uh, Midnight Cowboy. Yeah. I'm walking here! Bam, bam, bam on the taxi cab. Which was uh, ad-libbed. The taxi did really not nearly knock down Dustin Hoffman. Right. Should have been going a bit faster. <laughs> <laughs> and what a world it would have been. Well, somebody else would have had to be Tootsie. After everything that he and Frank have had to go through as gaming, Sean can't believe that this is how Frank wants to behave. Frank tells Sean to cry him a river, so Sean tells Frank to have a nice life, and he and Dylan go inside and leave Frank standing on the doorstep. Inside, Sean is sorry for not listening to George, and George is his typical magnanimous self and goes to get everyone a chippy tea, giving it five minutes so that Frank isn't still standing on the doorstep waiting for his spare trainers and fancy moisturiser. Right, because The Undertaker is everybody's grandpa now. Right. Grandpa and dad. I love it. I love I love this family that Eileen has now. Somehow. Yeah. Don't know where Mary was. She was busy flirting with the uh, new delivery man. Or something, who asked her if she had a boyfriend and she said, no, but I have anxiety and a pogo stick. When did that happen? Was that this week? Yes. It was in the conversation between... I have no memory of that. It was in the conversation between Tracy and Abby after they left Roy's Rolls and Abby said, don't you need to go back to the to the flower shop? But she said, no, Mary's there and she's irritating me because she's got this flirtation with this delivery driver and he asked her if she had a boyfriend and she said, no, but I have anxiety and a pogo stick. Because if I'd heard that, that would be the title of this episode. How did you not hear that? I, I watched, it was brilliant. And I typically watch these episodes three times. <laughs> you missed it all three times. Yeah. Anxiety and a pogo stick. Oh, I'll have to I go back. I don't know what that means. I'll have to go back and change the title. Unless pogo stick is a euphemism for... A strap on. <laughs> no. A vibrator is what I was thinking. A strap on vibrator. What would be the point of a strap-on vibrator? Yes, you'll have to ask me to that. But that maybe explains why she's anxious. <laughs> <sighs> <laughs> so this seems to be very 
hastily concluded. Yes. Yeah. It's not a very satisfying ending to this relationship. We quite liked Frank, I think, didn't we? Yeah. He was all right. We didn't mind Frank. And, and, I mean, and we stuck with Sean, but, you know. But he, it seemed like he was not the guy that the undertaker knew in school it seemed like he had grown up and was much better and then all of a sudden this time when he's confronted about what he says to dylan he starts he says the georgie porgy thing and it's like wait a second oh and it's the way that he said georgie porgy as oh well. yeah it was just that was offensive through gritty teeth and he spat it basically didn't he georgie porgy. yeah that was horrible mm. so any ambiguity is just completely removed from right. that with the way that he said that. And, you know, I would have liked a little bit more because it was an excellent point and it was made even more excellent by the shock that I felt of the fact that it was coming out of Sean's mouth. How, as gay men, they've had to put up with this their whole lives. Mm-hmm. Why would they do it to other people? Right. You know, I felt like, oh, that's quite interesting. And it's it's a quite introspective thing for Sean to say. And then I can't even remember what Frank's response was to that, but it was barely... Cry me a river. It was cry me a river. But it was, yeah, it was barely anything. It was a cliche. It was a Justin Timberlake song. and And then, you know, nothing more is made of it. You know, Sean doesn't say it again or make mention of it again you know and dylan doesn't make mention of it again when later on they're in a room with yet another gay man right you know who could in theory commiserate to that yeah i mean i'm i'm kind of i'm kind of thankful that we didn't stretch the story out longer by having i don't know frank worming his way and it Sean, because it looked like he was getting that way with the whole. Uh, Sean's making excuses for him about the the holiday thing, right. so Sean's going to start to become this kind of uh, two faced guy and and just buckle to anything that Frank right. wants. Right, and, and some then, some further gaslighting. And yeah. I, actually, I kind of would have enjoyed that. Not enjoyed, enjoyed is kind of. <laughs> But, you know, it would have been really interesting because typically when we see that sort of thing in a soap, it's a man doing it to a woman in a relationship. Yeah. It would be it would be more interesting to me, a storyline like that, if it was between two men or two women yeah, or that, a woman doing it to a man. I think my hesitancy about it is that it has been done, albeit the dynamic of it is a, is a little bit different. But that kind of abusive relationship, it, it's kind of ten a penny. But we're we're not doing that, or we're, we're doing it in a very very uh, condensed fashion mm-hmm. in one conversation on the doorstep, and then it's done. Mm-hmm. But it seems a very I, I don't know. It just kind of feels a bit pointless, I guess, that the whole yeah. Frank relationship has just been a, a just right. a dud from start to finish. Yeah, and it doesn't seem like. I guess it gives Sean an opportunity to defend his son within his son's hearing, which I don't think he's ever had to do before. Certainly not recently. Although he did a little bit last year, didn't he? He stood up for... Because Dylan was getting bullied about having... A gay dad. A gay dad. But that was really him standing up for himself, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. Oh, well. Moving on then. I was proud of Sean for dumping Frank, though, and not trying to make excuses for him. And choosing Dylan over... Yeah, and it did turn out to be a, like a nasty bit of work, and I'm glad yeah. that we've hopefully seen the back of him. But 
I'm thinking that because this has been done so abruptly, maybe yeah. we haven't seen the back of him just yet. Yeah, maybe he'll start stalking Sean for his cream that that Sean claims he's going to put in the post. Oh, that kind of cream. Right. <laughs> Moving on. Moving swiftly on. <laughs> Our next storyline is Tattle Do Nicely. Tattle Do Nicely. That's what it should be called. Yes. Only it won't. On Monday, Tyrone's back home and doesn't know how Fizz put up with sleeping with Phil. He's a bit of a big bear in bed, I bet he is. <laughs> Tyrone, unfortunately, didn't manage to bring up the annulment, so there's there's no real progress in that part of the storyline. I really wish we'd gotten to see more of their of their honeymoon together. I could have lived with just seeing that for the entire week. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, just please. Ty worries that the therapist will think the situation between him and Phil is weird. It is weird, says Fizz. At the therapist, she asks why they're there. Fizz explains that they're recently back together and don't want to make the mistakes of the past. So the therapist wants to talk about those mistakes, and Tyrone, whose idea this was, is oddly reluctant to share those details. Fine, repeat Groundhog Day. See if I care, says the therapist. So Ty is forced to explain about his affair with Alina. Fizz is a bit uncomfortable listening to this, which the therapist notices. It's hard to move on, says Fizz, with Alina's initial tattooed on Tyrone's leg. And the therapist's mouth drops open at this. And I'm like, oh, thank God. We haven't forgotten about this after all. Well, we knew we hadn't forgotten about it because we saw it last week. Yeah, but Fizzy's uh, reaction to it. Right. Th- this is Maybe you should have thought of that before getting back together with this guy, Fizz. Right. Back home, the tattoo is mentioned again. No matter how much he tries to cover up, she knows it's still there. He says he'd get rid of it if he could. She says that she knows, and she delays talking about it more by noisily making a cup of tea. And doesn't mention that, you know, you can get rid of that, can't you? Right. You, you, there's laser removal. See, my initial thought was to get another tattoo to cover it up as well. Get a better tattoo. We will get there. So, on Wednesday, Tyrone is tying a shoelaces which shows off that bloody tattoo again. Mm-hmm. Fizz decides that she's going to have to get used to this permanent marking on his leg. She's heard from Phil, who wants to meet at Nina Rolls later. So, in Nina Rolls, Phil has decided to reenact when Harry met Sally and is faking an orgasm while Tim sits in the corner and orders whatever he's having. <laughs> he apologises for his drama at the factory last week. Fizz lightens the mood by asking how the mini-moon was with Ty, and Phil mentions that judging by his film choices, Top Gun and Platoon, Ty likes a man in uniform. Well, who doesn't, says Fizz offhandedly. And this seems to give Phil some food for thought. Even though they didn't watch An Officer and a Gentleman. No. In the factory, Phil, who doesn't work at the factory, turns up there. Phil, says Fizz, you don't work at the factory. And with that, Phil puts on a sailor's cap, tells Fizz that he's going to take her up where she belongs. A captain's cap. And he goes to pick her up and puts his back out. Because he's not Richard Gere. And she is not... That's why I didn't say this part. Hold on. Is it, um... It's not Deborah Winger. Is it Demi Moore? No. People screaming at their transistor radios at the moment. Yes, their transistor radios. It was Deborah Winger. Was it Deborah Winger? It was Deborah Winger. <sighs> well, I must have known on some level. You must have. So anyway, this is all after he's apologised already for embarrassing her in front of her mates. Right. With the boombox shite. Right. He's just done the same again. Right, yeah. Because when all she... through that, Beth's just watching it going, what the fuck are you doing? 
So Fizz takes Phil to the medical centre where he tries and fails to have banter with the receptionist. Who's not Moira. No. I don't think Moira's ever coming back. No, she's not. And I think that's a shame. I don't. He loudly announces to the waiting room that they're newlyweds and he complains about how people never talk to each other anymore. Phil really is Ross from Friends circa season six onwards. Later, Phil realises that he's fucked up again and he's not going to get Fizz back. Fizz says the big romantic gestures and stalking aren't really her thing either. And he says, Stalking is nobody's thing, Phil. And he says, I wasn't stalking you. I'm married to you. You can stalk people you're married to, there Phil. There you go. Phil thinks it's time to admit defeat and he agrees to sign the forms for her tomorrow. Back home, Tyrone has a surprise for Fizz. He's got a new tattoo to cover up the old tattoo. And it's a tattoo of 80s TV chef Rusty Lee. <laughs> Ty seems surprised to learn that tattoos can get removed these days. Let's talk about that tattoo for a second, shall we? I don't understand why it, it's, it looks like Fizz in blackface. And it's supposed to be funny. And it's not. I don't, and know I, I, do, I don't know. I don't understand it. Well, the, the tattooist. And they're going to have to do. They're going to have to paint that on him every day. Well, not every day because he doesn't show off his leg every day. Well, but, with these temperatures, he might be. I can understand why the tattoo artist who doesn't exist. Right. Right. Because this isn't a real tattoo. No. But I can understand why they would have to go that dark. They have to go black to basically cover up all the colour that's underneath it because there's there's two flags underneath that they have to go black now if they did like a base coat of white and then added shading over the base coat they wouldn't have to go that dark the only reason I say that is because a guy Which, that I knew that had the Guns N' Roses tattoo like the, the scroll uh-huh. he ended up getting a, a panther over that because the tattoo artist said I'm going to have to do something black to cover this up right so, why not get Ruby tattooed on your leg? Ruby will always be in your life. Mm-hmm. Well, Ch- children will always be in your life. Your partner may not be. There's something else about this tattoo, though, that I think we have to talk about. Okay. The fact that it looks like a black woman. It looks like a black woman. It looks like Rusty Lee, the TV chef. And it looks like they have dreads. So, they couldn't even get. But, he wait, couldn't wait, even wait, get wait, wait. her hair color on there. To make it look even more like Fizz? Okay, there's... There's so many There's aesthetic things that are wrong with this tattoo in abundance. Hmm. But what he's really doing here is replacing the initial of an ex-girlfriend with, he hopes, the face of his current girlfriend, who he's just got back with. Right. Do you not see a potential problem with that it's just gonna be the risk is even greater now because you've replaced an a with fizzy's face that's what you've done well aren't the the banners with the a and the h still there only they made the h into a fizz it says a fizz or not h um what's a is how alina t's up at the top and that's still there and it's been changed to tie the a at the bottom has been conveniently altered to an f and been changed to fizz. Yeah. Yeah. And that's not really the, all that believable. But it's just, you know, by the time that man dies in his 80s, it's just going to be tattoos all the way down, isn't it? As indeed. Tattoos all the way down. He has not learned his lesson. No. It's a hideous and perhaps offensive tattoo. Just 
get it removed. Or like I said, get your daughter's face, your daughter's names, or Weathy County, or his favorite car, or, you know, the MSU Spartan. <laughs> it could be anything. He did that. It could be anything, but he went with... I would have loved it if it was my face that was on his leg. <laughs> an approximation... Then you would be the offensive one because it would be you in blackface. At least you don't have hair. Thank God. Because <laughs> that would make it worse. Because right. it makes it worse with fizzes because, again, they don't. It's all black. They don't. He doesn't. You know, there's no expert shading. There's no coloring her hair, the no, color well, of her hair. It seems to have been done in five minutes when he nipped out. Right. It's so bad. It's so bad. And it's like, does this show just... I think it's meant to be funny. Yeah, but it's... It's not. Later, Tyrone is thrilled to hear that Phil has agreed to sign the paperwork and reckons that this time tomorrow, everything will be back to normal. They need to get a tattoo artist on staff there. Narrator. To do consultations. Everything will not be back tomorrow. No. To normal tomorrow. No. Nothing will ever be normal. On Friday, Tyrone is round early doors to check the physicist still up for the therapy session today. The joke seems to be that his new tattoo is of Mick Hucknell from Simply Red. It's not. It's Rusty Lee. Fizz meets Phil and Nina Rolls. He's fingering the annulment. But not like that. He hasn't signed it yet because the two weeks he asked for aren't up yet. Aren't they? Anyway. And he has one last idea to try and win her back. After all, he still loves her and reckons that they were good together. Which they were. Yes. Phil's yes, up until like the second they got married, and then all of a sudden Fizz changed her mind. Phil's last ditch idea is marriage counselling. And wouldn't you know it, the therapist is the same woman that Tyrone and Fizz had been speaking to earlier. And if she was surprised to learn about Ty's tattoo, she practically falls off her chair when Fizz comes in. This was funny. Yeah. yeah. This, this, this was, was really funny. <laughs> I mean... Because they picked a really funny character for the therapist earlier on in the week. Mm-hmm. The way that she was looking at Ty when he was going on the tattoo. Yeah, no, she's great. She I love hilarious. that actress. I don't know who she is. And then the way that she was kind of just looking at Fizz all the way through the second bit was like, right. this is a, such a weird thing to be happening right now. Right. She, she looks like she was looking for the cameras. Right. And Ashton Kutcher. They pretend that they don't know each other. Or Jeremy Beadle for the UK listeners. Um, is it, was it called punked there as well? It was called Beatles About. Watch out, Beatles About. You'd better watch out, because Beatles About. Yeah, that's how that went. They pretend that they don't know each other as she asks Phil to describe the problems in the relationship. Phil doesn't know that there were any problems until recently. The therapist goes out on a limb and suggests that maybe there was somebody else involved, but Phil discounts that immediately. Fizz would never do that to him, especially after what happened with her ex. The therapist asks Fizz to tell the truth. And, and nothing so, but the truth, so help her God. So while Fizz and the therapist clutch at their collars, Fizz insists that she will never love Phil the way that he deserves and doesn't tell him the truth. Fizz gets home and explains about the marriage counselling and it being the same therapist. However, Phil has once again agreed to sign the annulment forms. Then Evelyn bumps into Phil in the Rovers and gives him a hard time about the length of time it's taken him to sign the forms. It's not fair keeping everyone waiting. Everyone, says Phil. Uh, the girls, says Evelyn. And me. And Evelyn tells him that he's better off without Fizz and this gives Phil a spur, except he can't find his bloody phone. 
So Tyne Fizz are in front of the therapist now and she does not see the funny side of any of this. She points out that Fizz had the chance to tell Phil the truth and she didn't do it. It's not fair to leave him all like this and you wasted his time and his money. Right. Then there's a knock at the door and Phil just barges in looking for his phone. Hiya! Wait a fucking minute, he says. Don't I know you? <laughs> and Fizz apologises, but Phil is hurt deep by this. His wife and his best mate. Fizz explains that the counselling is ahead of her relationship with Tyrone to see if they should even try again, but Phil isn't buying it and he storms off. And Ty says, wait a minute. Then we've got a really strange wee scene of Jack kicking a ball about in his backyard and he boots it in Evelyn's yard, yes. forcing her to make a reflex save. Evelyn tells Jack that he's lucky that she's mellowed, otherwise she'd have knifed that ball. Thank fuck she's your grand, Jack says to Ruby. I nearly ended up with her. What the fuck are you talking about, says Ruby. And then nothing... Yeah, nothing happens with that. Right, afterwards. I'm wondering if something's going to happen with that next, next week. week. Or if what happens between with Ruby and Hope and Phil later has something to do with Ruby telling Hope about that and Hope... Well, we've never seen that, do we? No. no. Inside, Evelyn has brought, been brought up to speed. She wonders whose trouser fell down in front of the vicar because this is a carry-on farce of the First Order. And she's not wrong. Fizz reckons that any hope she had of Phil signing the annulment is gone. Elon sends him out for a drink and to think of a plan B. And while they're doing that, her plan is to get Phil round. If you just brought me here to talk me into signing the annulment, that's exactly why I brought you here, she says. You're a good guy, Phil, and you know in your heart that Fizz was on the rebound, as were you. And you know that Fizz still loves Ty. And Phil reluctantly kind of listens and agrees to this. I thought it was an interesting point, the whole rebound thing, because I don't think that's ever really Nobody's been mentioned that. addressed no. before now. And it kind of feels like something that maybe Fizz and, and Phil should have talked about and recognized before right. now. This is why Evelyn's here. Yeah. It's to realize all these things. But even she should have said something before now. Yeah, and she's really nice to him. And, because and she really encouraged Fizz to go after Phil. She really wanted that relationship to work because Phil's a good guy and Tyrone isn't. Yeah. Yeah, she was really good in that scene though when she was saying these nice things to Phil and Phil's like, <clears throat> thank you very much sort of right. thing. But she says, I don't say it unless it's true and I don't varnish it. No. Basically. So if, you, if I'm saying this, you know that I mean it. Right. He thinks that he's going to miss the kids and he's going to lose them too out of his life. He yeah. calls him a good man and seems genuinely upset at how things have worked out. He reckons that he'll sign the forms now, again, again. Right, yes. She goes to get the kids to say goodbye to him. In the rovers, Jenny's thrilled to see Ty and Fizz back together and gives him a bottle of shampers on the house. Then Fizz gets a text from Phil agreeing to sign the annulment as promised. So Phil is meeting the kids <clears throat> for the last time. Ruby says that she'll miss Phil and his two L's. Hope will miss him too. And she's sorry for what she did. But then she reveals that Fizz said that she didn't realise how much she loved Tyrone until the wedding, which is why this was the place she came to straight afterwards. Wait a minute here, says Phil with two L's and his two eyebrows. Mm. As they're enjoying a drink in the booth, Phil shows up in the rovers in a funny mood, looking like he's about to sing the annulment in front of them. The Declaration of Independence, he says, but the originals started a war and that's what we're about to get here. And he tears the form up, announcing that he knows where Fizz slept on the night of the wedding. Enjoy being married to me for another 12 months, he screeches, and he cackles as he boards his broom and shoots out of the pub. But not like that. But not like that, which leads us on to this week's Hard Debate. Uh -huh. 
while it's still fresh and without cheating, how many times would you say Phil agreed to and then disagreed to sign the annulment papers on Friday's episode? Eight. Was it A, one to three times? B, four to six times? C, seven to five hundred times? Okay, I'm Or D, five hundred and above? <laughs> and the voting, we're still in the middle of the voting. So it's too early to say how it's, how it's going to go. But at the moment, oofed. One to three, four to six, and seven to five hundred all have twenty-three point five percent of the vote. Wow! And just in the lead with five hundred and one plus is twenty-nine point four percent. People are officially in on the joke. Right. Well, just. <laughs> <laughs> so that's as far as we get with that this week. <clears throat> Interesting. I guess by Phil not signing the annulment. And by still being married to Fizz, is there a chance then that he's going to be still in the show for a bit? I hope so. I do hope so. I do not want to lose him. You know, there was a moment though when, after Fizz was talking about the people in uniform and Phil seemed to have a hmm moment, mm-hmm. when Evelyn was saying, you know, there's somebody out there for you, mm-hmm. Phil did seem to have a hmm moment. <laughs> where I thought... Is he, is he going to try it on with Evelyn now? No, that's Roy's territory, certainly. Hopefully, one of these days. It, it did cause me to pause and think, who is out there for Phil on the street to keep him here? And all I could think of was Mary, which actually would work, I think. Although... Would it? She's not exactly like Fizz in terms of personality. No, but she's delightful and quirky. And Phil is delightful and, and, and has quirky. has a pogo stick, apparently. Which is helpful. Right. Yeah. Can yeah. you think, there's nobody else. There isn't really. You had something of a relationship with Maria when it was helping her campaign. Right, yeah, we were all worried that uh, Maria was going to, or Phil was going to feed, f- feed, feed on this. <sighs> I got to stop watching Tarantino movies. Um, and that's the joke of the week. Uh, I missed it. I was briefly, briefly distracted by something in the corner of the room, and I missed the joke. <laughs> Never mind. I'll listen to it again for the wedding. And oh, how I laugh! Oh yes, yeah. I still hate the storyline because I thought Fizz and Phil worked really well. They unquestionably did. And. And the partnership between Fizz and Phil and Tyrone co-parenting those two wee girls I thought was delightful and was working really well. And I, I still don't get how Fizz could all of a sudden, after pushing Tyrone away constantly mm. from Christmas on... It's Vera's earrings that did it. That's so dumb. We It just it really does do disservice to some of the great lines that Fizz was given in the lead up to that. Right. I can't trust you with my heart, she said. Right. And I thought that was brilliant. Yeah. What a great and line. True. I love you, but I can't trust you. Right. I love you, but I can't trust you with my heart. Whereas I can trust Phil. Phil will take care of my heart. Phil will take care of me. Phil will take care of the girls. Phil. Good old dependable Phil. And if his mum shows up every now and again, I'm quite happy about that too. I love Mimi. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, it's fine. She's hilarious. It's fine. Yeah, she's a bit of comic relief. And we all need that in this day and age. Yeah, you're right. This whole whole quick turnaround really just stomps all over 
really mature, emotionally mature and wise things that Fizz has said yeah. between Christmas and now. Because over the last couple of weeks, it's been played for laughs more or less. Yeah. Even at and the wedding, sucks. even the wedding was kind of played for laughs with the karaoke stuff. Right. And Hope's involvement and right. trying to break it up and all that, that kind of malarkey. Right. It, it, it became very quickly a different type of storyline. Right. And I'm quite here for Phil being the, the kind of the, the bumbling and love kind of funny character, the Ross from Friends, and moderation. Right. Yeah. Because he was funny without that. And, the and fact- arguably he was funny air. Right. Before that. And the fact that we go from, we make a complete 180 from bumbling, heartbroken puppy to vengeance. <laughs> vengeance is mine. Right. right. Yeah. I am vengeance. Hear me roar. Rawr. Phil is Batman. So, you know, because we saw that, we saw that last week when Phil was kind of hangdog and everything and then turned on a dime and was quite threatening to Fizz when he said, this better not be about Tyrone because I swear to God, blah, blah, blah. It's like, whoa, where is this coming from? Mm -hmm. Where is this coming from? You know, either he is sweet and lovable and kind and generous or he's got this weird dark streak. I don't think he has a weird dark streak. It can't be both. No, I I think we've seen it before now. Right. Although, the again... The closest we had was the book, but that was just right. an idea. Right. And it was an idea to try to help Fizz. Remember, he wasn't doing it for any sort of gain for himself. Mm. It was all about Fizz. That just felt completely out of character. I'm right. Sorry, that it did. didn't make any sense. But again, we had this thing with Frank where it seemed like he had grown and was more mature and was not a bully anymore. And then all of a sudden on the doorstep, he's a bully again. Characters are a thing up until the moment when they need to be something different. Right. And I hate that. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not a huge fan of that. Either. And it happens quite a bit on this show. And I, I'm not. I, I'm not thrilled when it happens to somebody like Frank, but I'm kind of furious when it happens to somebody like Phil, whom I, we love. Right. Not universally loved. It turns out. I saw some very negative comments about him on the Twitter. Well, those people are wrong. That's what I said. Because I am here for the bromance. Yeah. Moving on then. Our next storyline today is. The ginger phone in cinemas now. <laughs> on Monday in the Rose Gold Flat. Seriously Gary, though, that's a great movie. Everybody should go watch it. Yeah. Gary finds Maria upside down. No, she hasn't been cast in the new season of Stranger Things. <laughs> She's doing yoga and is literally upside down. Gav is a person who's only watched the first season of Stranger Things and then not even all the way through. I have watched the whole season of that. You watched the whole first season? Mm-hmm. And two nights. I thought it was all right. Yeah, and then you didn't watch any of the other seasons. No, because it was just all right. After that, she goes to wake up Kelly, only to find she's not in the room and her bed hasn't been slept in. What? Gary dismissively thinks she must have spent the night at Addie's, which is making rather a lot of assumptions about Kelly, Addie, and Dev. Right. But Kelly isn't at Addie's. She's in the ginger phone dungeon, shouting for help. Gary goes to Dev's to tell Addie to put a condom on it. You hear? Put a condom on that thing. <laughs> But Addy's confused because Kelly stood him up the other night and he hasn't heard back from her since. He assumes she's out handing out more of Rick the Chin's cash. Whoa, whoa, says Gary. I'll be seeing you. <laughs> he goes back to the flat to explain this to Maria and how he thinks one of Rick's old clients has her. Maria immediately wants to go to the police, but he insists to wait for a while as getting the pigs involved in this might bring some unwanted attention onto him. 
Right. Meanwhile, Kelly's introduced to Phil Mitchell and the kidnapper leader who reveals that he knew Rick the Chin before his disappearance. In fact, they used to be business partners and wouldn't you believe it, but Rick the Chin was a bit of a shitbag and ripped this guy off. The kidnappers get Kelly to text Gary to tell him that she's safe, which is unclear why they do that considering what they want to do later. But anyway, Kelly does so, but she puts in a line telling him to let her mum know that she's okay, which tips Gary off that something's not right here. Right. Because Gary, he's got the smarts, you see. Yes. He knows that Laura is dead. Right. Unlike the people who vote for storylines in the Inside Soap Awards. Back in the dungeon, Kelly tries to resolve the issues that the kidnapper had with Rick the Chin. I can give you tree fiddy, says Kelly. <laughs> Fuck you and your tree fiddy, says the kidnapper dude. I want at least 60 quid. I can't give you what I don't have, says Kelly. Well, we'll just see about that, says the kidnapper. Was Bigfoot involved in that South Park episode? No, it was the uh, Loch Ness Monster. That's right. It was the Loch Ness Monster who owed her tree fiddy. Monster? <laughs> I ain't giving you no tree fiddy. It's the chef's dad there. I thought it was the chef's mum. He wanted tree fitty. That's the chef's mum. Rest in peace, Isaac Hayes. See, it's not just one Wilson. <laughs> <clears throat> wow. <laughs> Maria still wants to go to the police, but Gary still wants to hold off because the last question is about the money. But realising the enormity of the situation, he agrees. But the cops aren't interested because she's only been gone overnight. Really? I would have thought... Yeah, it hasn't been 24 hours yet. When, but people say the first 24 hours are so important. Right, but cops won't look for you for 24 hours because they have no obligation to protect your safety. That's not why we have police. They're here to protect property and not people. I thought it was to protect and serve. Right. To protect property and to serve (laughs) our puppet masters. Right. When Addy comes in to see if there's news, Gary just tells him about receiving a text and how they're relieved. Annoyed, Maria goes out to pick up Liam and Gary follows. The kidnappers leave and Kelly can spy her phone through the broken glass in the next room. She uses the voice recognition to call Gary, but it goes to voicemail because people in the street leave their phones when they go out, remember? As the phone is still connected, the kidnapper picks up the phone in the other room, which I don't really see the significance of as they already sent him a text and knew it was Gary. Anyway, she tries to explain to the kidnapper that she doesn't have the money. If she had it, she'd have given it to him because that's what she's doing. She's giving away Rick's money. Right. Kidnappers, they're no bright. Right, but it wasn't enough money. That's the problem. They want more money. Gary gets home to find the missed call and no message. Maria sends him out to speak with Amy and Addy in case she called them too. So Gary goes back to Dev's and now Addy's dead suspicious. Gary tries to play it down, but Addy is no fool and doesn't buy it. When Gary gets home, he gets a call from the kidnapper. He wants 50 grand tomorrow in exchange for the girl. No police. He'll be in touch with instructions. On Wednesday, in the wee dungeon, Kelly wakes up needing a shite, but the kidnapper guy tells her that she's got a bucket and is about to leave until Kelly decides that she's now hungry, and he leaves anyway. Right. And, he, and she tries to explain that she can't stand up and sit on the bucket with her hands tied, right. which is true. Well, just figure it out, says the kidnapper. They're so stupid. They are so stupid. Back at the Rose Gold flat, Gary and Maria throw Liam off the Kelly is missing trail. Then Maria gets a call from Craig, asking her to drop into the station later. She doesn't recognise him on the phone immediately, even though he probably calls her Martha and asks him to come to the factory. <laughs> so at the station Craig has been doing some detecting and that Darren guy the guy that was the porno guy from the other week that right. guy that he's, guy he's been arrested so that's that settled apparently right yes but it's important it's important that Craig 
reminds us about the tracker. Right. Yes. So Gary's been busy collecting money from their savings, the furniture thing. The remains are at the chin stash, but they're still way short. He's just got 24,000. Then he gets a call from the kidnappers with instructions. Meanwhile, the kidnappers tell Kelly that they're off to meet Gary, but they but they leave her tied up in the dungeon. And in the car park of ITV Studios, <laughs> the kidnappers <laughs> meet with Gary. And the exchange becomes tense when it becomes clear that Gary's only got half the money, but he throws it over to them anyway, and they tell him that he'll get Kelly back when they get all the money, and off they drive. Right, and Gary <laughs> does not, you know, does not threaten too much, and backs off and says, okay, okay, okay. Right. And as they drive off, I say to no one in particular, because there was no one in the room, Gary's put a tracker in that bag. See, I just thought that those words flashed up on the screen because it was <laughs> it was that obvious. But I mean, just be imagining that. Hmm. The kidnappers go back to the dungeon to break the bad news to Kelly. She'll be shitting in the bucket for a bit longer by the looks of things, and he leaves her to it. Later, Gary bursts into the dungeon, and with his sleeve over his mouth and nose, he unties Kelly. He did put a tracker in with the money after all. Yes. The kidnapper, though, although he knows how much money's in that bag, down to the nearest thousand, he didn't spot the tracker. Right, yeah. Well, <clears> it <throat> seems like he just took Gary's word for it. And also, apparently, could eyeball 50 grand. Right. He doesn't even know what denominations those bills are. Right. It could very easily be 50 grand in, like, hundreds or thousands. Oh, a thousand pound note. A thousand, is there a thousand pound note? No. There's a thousand dollar bill. Is there? Yes. <laughs> the geese agreed. Yes. Just at that, the kidnapper bursts in and lamps Gary. And then there's a, actually a fairly convincing fight between Gary and the kidnapper. Yeah, I enjoyed Which it. ends when Kelly twats the kidnapper with the iron bar. Gary seems like he wants to finish the kidnapper off, but not like that. But a horrified <laughs> Kelly t- talks him out of it. She's not prepared to let him do something he'll regret. Yet, where is she every time he goes for a haircut? At home, oh come on, that was quite funny. <laughs> At home, Gary and Kelly have to go to the police to give a statement that doesn't mention the money. Not as funny as my Tarantino joke. <laughs> Which I'm, I can't wait to hear. Let's hope the kidnappers don't mention the money either. No, I don't know what that was all about. It's fine. Hey, guess who's on the thousand dollar bill? You'll never guess in a million years. Scrooge McDuck? <laughs> no. <laughs> I'll give you a clue. It's a dead president we've been to. Oh, that could be any of them. It's Grover Cleveland. Really? Yeah. A thousand dollars? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> At home, Gary and Kelly have to go to the police to give a statement that that doesn't mention the money, presumably. Right. Let's hope that the kidnappers don't mention the money either. Otherwise, well, there's going to be some conflict in there. One of here. them is at large, and one of them ain't speaking no more. Oh, is he for a while still unconscious? Is he? Yeah. Wasn't that handy? Did Gary get the twenty-four grand back? I don't. I don't know. Kelly seems a bit traumatized from shit in the bucket, so goes off for a bath. After her bath, Kelly she's quite dirty. There's like dirt all over her face. Yeah. For being overnight in, in a dungeon. dungeon. On a pishy mattress. <laughs> Kelly wants to talk about what happened in the dungeon. Gary says the world is better off with some people in it. No. Gary says the world is better without some people in it. She points out that she's 17. She's seen a guy kicked to death. Her dad is dead. Her mum is dead. And if Gary went to prison, where would that leave Jake, Liam, Zach, Bobby, Marvin, Stanley <laughs> or Jean-Pierre? Or her. She asks if he's ever lost it like that before. Never, he says. And David sticks his head around the door <laughs> and coughs. That's, that's, that's exactly 
who I thought of first was David. I didn't think Rick the Chin. It was... <laughs> that's a very good David impersonation. Thank you. you. have the eyebrow down. <laughs> it's still my first time impersonating David. <laughs> because the David thing, everybody on the street knows about that. Mm-hmm. And so you'd think that he could tell her that and it wouldn't raise suspicion about her dad because it's something everybody on the street knows about. Or he could talk about his time in... In the army. Right. Yeah, when things like that happen all the time. Yeah, I don't know if I made it clear enough in my notes, but the insinuation was that he was going to kill this guy. Right, yeah, absolutely. And Kelly stopped him. Right. And Kelly seems a little bit freaked out that Gary has it in him to kill somebody. Gary literally says, you know, that he's going to finish the guy off. Right. He says it. He says it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) <laughs> on friday kelly's up for breakfast still shaky about her ordeal she's worried that the camp filling guy and his mate will come back but gary promises that he can handle it if they do maria who hasn't heard that bit reckons that kelly should stay indoors but kelly refuses to hide away so she pops in to see Addy at devs and she apologizes for standing them up but she has a fucking brilliant reason she asked to try again and he's somewhat cautious because he thinks that she doesn't fancy him but he agrees in Speed Dial, Kelly has told Addy about what happened to her, but the chat is awkward and Addy's jokes aren't landing, so Homeless Shoe gives them some sweet samosas on the house, and now they joke about how their luck has turned for the positive, and they seem to be getting on much better now. Right, yes, and Yasmin comments to Stu how lucky Kelly is to have him in her life. Yep. Which is a kind of dig at the storyline that we're about to talk about. Yes. Kelly goes home and is gently ribbed by Gary and Maria about her date with Addy. She refuses to kiss and tell and goes off to her room, hoping for a quiet life from now on. And that's yes, as far as we get with and that that's what she deserves. Right. Guess who's on the $5,000 bill? There's a $5,000 bill. That's got to be Scrooge McDuck. It's James Madison. We've been to his plantation. Who, who chooses these? <laughs> Is it just know. like pick a number between 1 and 40 or whatever? Yeah, until they're out of presidents. Right. Those, those aren't in circulation, though. I'm sure some of them are in circulation. I'm sure that they're not used very often. I'm sure it's like a novelty. Can you imagine if you went to the QD with a five grand to buy a coffee? Yeah, they would laugh in your face. Yes, they would tell you to go go forth and multiply. They don't even want $100 bills. No, they don't want 50s there. Anyway, <clears throat> as much as American money is interesting, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, K- K- Kelly and Addy together are delightful. I love it. It's so cute. Mm-hmm. And they both deserve the happiness of one another. I am all for this relationship. They yeah, better this, not fuck it up. This seems to have just snuck in there on the on the down low because I didn't even think that Addy was that interested in her. I thought he had his his heart still set on Summer. Well, Summer stepped all over that heart and didn't deserve him. Too much hard work. Well, that's what Summer is. Too much hard work. That's right. He'd rather be with Kelly, whose parents are both dead, oh, and who my kingdom who for an orphan. And who witnessed someone getting stomped to death, etc., etc., etc. So he much easier than Summer. Through all that, though. Yes. He stood by her. He believed her. Yeah. He was very supportive. Mm-hmm. He got his dad to let her stay there. Remember? Yeah, he has been a good friend to her. Yeah. It's nice that that's developed. Yeah. And the two of them do, they do look very good together and they, they bounce do. off each other very nicely. And they're delightful kids. <coughs> both, yeah. both their characters and the actors themselves. Now, how did you. How did you rate the kidnapping in terms of uh, crime drama? Well, I mean, we've joked about, you know, the black phone 
mm. and how terrifying that was. Yeah. And, so. and indeed, and indeed it was. This, on the other hand. <laughs> Why do they make villains comp? I expected a vicar to walk in and the kidnapper's pants to fall down. Right. Why did they make villains comp? Because he, he started to make, now if you don't give us the money, then you don't get your girl back. Mm. And then when they made like a, mm, noise. Like, what? Why are you doing that? It was gross. Yeah. It was really gross. It's like someone said that they were disappointed that that um, Gary and, and Kelly weren't included in the best romance category. I'm like, oh. Oh. Oh, oh no. Ah. It's like, you think in your mind, I hope he, they met Maria and just typed Kelly. Yeah. Yeah, let's Because that's so. not the show we're watching. No. Ah, I hope that's oh. not going to see that. Um, <laughs> you know, and it's it's a shame because they know how to make good villains. But then again, even the even even the genuine bad guys who murder people. Ray Weinstein was camp. Were, yeah, and uh, Maximus's character, ITV Corey was camp. Was even it? his name was camp. It was a bit. ITV Stefan was a bit camp as well. Oh, ITV Stefan was very camp. The, the way, way he, he walked in a rooms, door. Mm-hmm. The way he entered rooms was yes. camp as get out. You Game hate Mick. to see him go, but you love to watch him leave. Game Mick, obviously. Editor. Oh, God. My kingdom for Game Mick to come back. Mm-hmm. I loved that guy. They don't have to be gay, but they no. have to be camp, it seems. Yeah. So, slightly less threatening so that people will watch? Oh, maybe. Those kids who assaulted Kelly, they were in camp. They were no. terrifying. Mm-hmm. Teenagers are terrifying anyway. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I think it's because, you know, I've watched enough things with genuine bad guys who who are not camp. Although, I have to say, the grabber was a bit camp. Yeah. I, th- I think there's a happy medium to be struck between dragging things out too long and rushing things through yeah this and felt again rushed. i felt it rushed through the, yeah was she was no, only gone for a night there's no peril no i, I don't really not think. really what did they get out of killing her they don't get anything out of killing no her. they really don't get anything out of kidnapping her because it's not like it's not like rick the chin is gonna pop out of the grave and say oi Here's your money. Give me my daughter back. They did so many strange things. And, you know, the way that they talked about him being missing and the way they said it sounded like they knew he was dead. Sounded like they killed him. Right. Which we know they didn't. You know, and then the fact the fact that we have the skinny one and the fat one. Mm -hmm. They're both bald, obviously. Right. Yeah, obviously. That was the send Gary a text. So he doesn't worry about you. Mm-hmm. But then I'm going to phone him in five minutes and tell him that I've kidnapped you. Right. And to bring so, me well, money. Right, well, what's the point in texting him? Then? Right. Yeah. What, what was that even all about? It was so that Kelly could warn Gary that she had clearly, been kidnapped. Right, clearly. But still. But and then that meeting. Lazy that, writing. And that meeting in ITV Studios car park as well was just. There was a. a I think it was CGI'd. I think somebody had photoshopped a, a skip or a dumpster into the parking lot to make it look like it wasn't really a parking lot, like it was a bit of waste ground or something. But there were houses right behind it. It didn't look like waste ground at all, even with a skip there. And the way the kidnappers, like, they pulled in, and then when they were leaving, instead of backing up, 
they drove around Gary's van. <laughs> Why? And they did it in daylight. And, right. And they, they didn't cover their faces. And out in the open. <laughs> and they didn't cover up the number plate on the... No. It was just all very, very stupid. Yes. Let's move on then to our penultimate story. Just a couple of scenes about homeless, daughterless stew. <laughs> on Friday, it's speed dial Z is down in the dumps because his mates... He has mates, all right? He has mates. They're all going to Greece. Homeless Stu is happy to cover for him while he's away, so Z appreciates this, and Homeless Stu appreciates everything that Z's family has done for him. But at this point, Zidane isn't listening anymore. Yasmin catches wind of Homeless Stu's kindness and wonders if it would be a good idea to renew his search for Bridget, his daughter. Homeless Stu insists that that ship has sailed, and Bridget is far better off without him. And later, Yasmin is on her laptop in a restaurant doing some detective work to track down Homeless Stew's daughter. Zidane knows that Homeless Stew wants us left alone and hopes that Yasmin knows what she's doing. Mm-hmm. That's all that happens in that. Yeah. So, Yasmin, out of the goodness of her heart, is going to make Homeless Stew's life worse. Right. Because Homeless Stew isn't going to be happy about this. No. The it's daughter's not going to be happy about it's, this. It's to leave. Are we going to find the daughter? Awkward. We've given her a name now, so I think the chances We've, we've got to find her. Right. It's the internet age. You can find anybody mm-hmm. or anything, indeed. Yeah. I was looking for a Penelope Cruz movie and I found it on a, on a dodgy Russian messenger site. Oh, you didn't click on it, did you? Anything can be found. No, it was fine. Which means that, yes, I did click on it. <laughs> yeah, I watched the movie. But I didn't download the site or anything. Somebody Download said, the site? Or download the app because it's, it's a messenger app. Oh. And I didn't sign up for it or anything. Somebody on Letterboxd sent me the link. Russian pirates are good for one thing. This all goes well until it doesn't go well. Yeah. Nothing much more to say about that. Although it looks like we're getting rid of Z for a little while. I don't think anybody's going to notice. No. Where's Alia? Doesn't she still work there? She was in it last week. Was she? Yeah. She was in it last week complaining about Toya. Or maybe that was a week before. She's been in it recently. She's still there. Yeah, they're never there at the same time, though. Are they the same person? No. Okay. I, I checked. <laughs> I our don't final storyline. Our final story. I was happy to check. Our final storyline. <laughs> this. You should run this. as a Republican for the U.S. Senate. Well, I'm happy to check that out as well. <laughs> our final storyline is it's odds party, and she'll hmm if she wants to. On Wednesday at number mm-hmm. 8, Gail has booked a table mm. for Orgy's birthday, which is which is kind of a stupid idea because the last one didn't exactly go well. No. And Stephen really is gone. Yes. David announces that he has a surprise planned for Audrey and reluctantly he lets Gail in on it, but we don't hear what it is and he's very careful not to say it in front of Shona because right. she'll blab. Yes. Gail and Audrey are in the rovers. Audrey's drinking again, which doesn't seem to be a problem anymore. Gail mentions the birthday meal, but Audrey tells her there's no fucking way she's going for a birthday meal. She's a bit down in the dumps now that Stephen's gone. Back home, Gail tells David that Audrey has no intention of going to her birthday party meal and she encourages him to speak with her to apologise to make everything right and grumpily David agrees. So David meets up with Audrey and Nina's roles. He apologises for what he said and he wants to make it up to her. All right, says Audrey, put up a couple of light shades for me now. David asks if it can wait until tomorrow, so Audrey tells him not to bother. She calls him a twat and tells him to stick his apology up his arse. Right up up his his arse. She's so unreasonable. Do you think? Yeah, because he's like, she asks him to do it and he says, can I do it a little bit later because I have this thing that I have to go do? And she flips out. It's like, the world will not end if this isn't taken care of right now. That was a test, though. 
Well, it's a stupid test, test you want because, to apologize? He still, because he still is willing to do it. He just can't do it right now. And the reason why he can't do it right now is because he's working on her surprise. On his terms. He'll do it on his terms. Right. But you can't expect people to just drop everything in their lives just to put up your lampshades. But if someone is so desperate to be forgiven, well, for me to forgive you, this is, this is the test. And you failed. No, because he says, yes, I will do it. I just can't do it right now. And right. that should be and fine. That, and that's a fail. And, listen, she had asked Stephen to do it and he didn't do it. And then he fucked back off to Milan. That's a fail as well. Yeah, but she still loves him. Back at number eight, Gail and Audrey are on the tee now. Gail tells her that David has a surprise in the works, but Audrey could see her family far enough now and she still refuses to do the birthday meal. Then David gets home when Audrey's left and Gail gives him a hard time about the light shade stuff. He doesn't care. He's on track for the surprise, which is the main thing. And Gail somehow off screen has managed to talk Audrey and come to the birthday meal tomorrow. David hopes that Audrey appreciates the surprise. On Friday, this is a surprise that you knew about last week that you tried to tease me with. And mm-hmm. I was having none of it. Right. On I Friday, do like to tease you. At number eight, everyone is ready for Audrey's party at the bistro, except for David, who seems to be wearing the t-shirt they wore to bed. Shona recommends that he changes it if he wants his nasty claws and his grand's money. And he insists that that's not what it's about, but then he goes and changes his shirt. David gets his fashion sense from Kev. Yeah. No one has told Shona what the surprise is still. She thinks it might be a kitten. <laughs> At the bistro, the Platts are trying to figure out how to surprise Audrey on her arrival, which seems unnecessarily risky. Shona is convinced the surprise present is skydiving now. Then in comes Audrey, and the Platts decide to whoop their appreciation. Champers all round for the elderly alcoholic. And Audrey's reasonably nonplussed with a cold buffy meal. David thinks it's because she's old. Nick announces it's nearly time for her surprise, and Audrey looks like she's dreading the thought of it. And the Platts blindfold Audrey and take her out of the bistro to the salon. They're leasing it back to her from Debbie. Isn't that nice, Helen? It is nice. Is it? It is, because then she gets her thing back, so she feels like she has a purpose again, and this puts money in Debbie's pockets that she can then give to Ed and Aggie. I don't know that they're given that much money, and I don't think 82-year-old Audrey is really looking for work to go to. She tried to take over at the barber shop. This keeps them out of her... drunk. This keeps her... Out. She seems quite pleased. Oh, I don't think she does at all. She, she seems overwhelmed, but she seems, she seems very surprised and she seems pleased. But there is something on... There's something off about her, but there was something off about her before she found out about the surprise, the way she was picking out her food and stuff and kind of... Yeah, she wasn't happy at the No, Michelle. and she, wasn't, she didn't want to drink and she wasn't talking... No. And she was weird. Shona doesn't think this is anywhere near as good as skydiving. It seems that everyone has helped to redecorate the place. They've Except even, for Shona. They've even contacted Stephen and asked him to come back. Audrey says it was a lovely gesture and then she makes her excuses and leaves. And when she walks out the door, she has this massive sigh and just looks up at the heavens as if like, yeah, she's found the whole thing overwhelming, I think. The other plants go to the bistro for dessert without Audrey and Gail seems to be the only one worried about her mum and so she goes off to Grasmere Drive to check up on her later Gail gets back to number 8 she's drawn a blanket Grasmere Drive because Audrey's not answering her phone so Gail tries that again and this time Audrey does answer but she doesn't sound herself she's saying that she's at home and she's safe and sound and she just nipped out for milk and she hangs up and Gail looks concerned and then we see that Audrey's actually in a hospital bed it's Audrey's turn to be the one that goes into hospital this week Right, yes, because Ed's out now. A doctor comes to see her. 
she needs to stay in for observation and have a psychiatric evaluation. Audrey says this is ridiculous because it was just a silly mistake. The doctor also wants to speak to her next to kin. Audrey says she doesn't have any and <gasps> says that if she did, she wouldn't be wanting to tell them anyway because it was just a simple mistake. Right. The doctor says the number of sleeping pills that she took which suggest otherwise. It was not a mistake. And that's how we end this week's episodes on a bit of a... So, Audrey tried... Tear the, tear the, 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 the rug from under us here with that ending. Yes. So Audrey... Seemed to have tried to kill herself? Attempted to die by suicide, yeah. Oh. Poor Audrey. 82. The way she's just... She looks so lonely and confused in that bed. Oh, that was heartbreaking. It was heartbreaking. It was absolutely heartbreaking. And just the way... The way she said, you know, the way she's talking to Gail saying, oh, I just nipped out for some milk. Well, they're going to figure out that she didn't just nip out for some milk because she's going to be in that bed for a while. The fragility in her voice as she yeah. was speaking to, to Gail. Right. And Gail was kind of parroting it back to her a little bit. Right. When she was going, oh, hello, Gail. Oh, hello. And the two of them, were, the two of them really sounded. Right. Both of them cannot confused and right. a, bit, a bit dazed and, and stuff. And the way the way she caught her mom in the lie, you know, saying, no, I was just there and you weren't there. And and then Audrey has to come up with another lie. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't seem like Gail quite believes her. But she wants to believe her because the alternative is potentially so much worse. Well, I think the question is, well, I think they probably think that she's just been drinking because right. that's what she does. But I think where we... So we draw conclusions or we draw comparisons between this and the Aiden suicide from 2018, which was our mm -hmm. first episode of this, was that week. And there was kind of questions about whether we, whether this was foreshadowed enough mm -hmm. or at all. <clears throat> and certainly in the lead up to that, that episode, there were some signs of it that Aiden was in the room but not in the room kind of thing. Right. Here we have a far longer period of uh, runway that's leading up to this bit. Mm -hmm. You know, the whole cataract stuff that's been going on and the denial of that and the operations and that and the nagging from from the, the, the daughter who has become the mother and right. the, the family who don't seem to trust her judgment or take her word for things anymore for good reason for good reason but right but internally it's like these people don't trust me and they, they don't listen to me the whole alcoholism mm -hmm. thing the car crash and stuff the fact that she feels that her life has been uh taken away from her and the responsibilities mm -hmm. have been taken away from her and decisions have been taken away from her to the fact that they've chased her her shining light her 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 steven has been chased out of town literally mm -hmm. by right. her family when he was he was looking for an exit let's be honest well the the the, the talk is that he might be coming back right yeah so we'll but, see i'm frustrated because just like with with toya and imran we're not getting the whole story here you know we know she was, she's taken a lot of pills how was she found was my question. Right. How was she found? When did she take those pills? Because let's remember, she was not herself throughout that whole meal. So it kind of felt like she had taken them already. Right. And that maybe she didn't, she didn't get home. That something happened to her between the salon and home 
that she collapsed on the street or something. But we don't know. All we know is she took too many sleeping pills at some point in that day. Well, I'm, I'm okay with not knowing that right now. I expect to find out next week the answers to those questions. And if we don't find out the answers to those questions, then so it, I think it steals something from the story, not mm-hmm. filling those bits and pieces in. But yeah, we, we don't know the Toya thing because drama, I think. Mm-hmm. We don't know the sleeping pill thing because a timing issue or oversight. Right. I, I, I'm, I'm not sure which but yeah we, we don't know that but the I guess we have plenty of examples to look back to and say well this is what has led Audrey to this point if that is if that indeed is what happened she says that it was just an accident mm-hmm. the doctor's not for believing it because no. of the toxology and because right how many she took right and from her demeanor it seems that that's not really a a believable story no either so it does it does seem at the moment like it was a deliberate act yeah which is heartbreaking heartbreaking for somebody at that age to be so out of options and feel so alone in the world that's that it's not surprising it's heartbreaking but it's not surprising because it feels it seems like that's the time of your life when you do feel the most useless and like your family would be better off without you and you have nothing left to really continue to go on for. Mm. So I'm sure the suicide rate for the elderly is quite high. And that's not even, that's not even including people. That's not even including euthanasia, people who are dying already, who just want, don't want to suffer Mm. for an extended period of time and, and choose. I don't know if it, if it feels, I don't know if this is crass or not. You can tell me. I don't know if it feels like it's Audrey feels that her family is better off without her. It's that she feels that she's better off without her family. No, because I don't think that that's the case because of what she says about I have no next of kin and even if I did, I wouldn't want to put them through this. I think... I think Audrey's frustration with the way everybody's been treating her and everybody's been treating her for the most part, except for maybe David and even David for the most part, as if, you know, she doesn't want their help. They keep trying to help her and she doesn't want her help because she wants to continue to be independent. Mm -hmm. And she's recognizing the fact that she can't be independent anymore and she does not want to be a burden. She's pushing people away because she doesn't want to be a burden to them. Yeah, I don't know if that's that. I'm pretty sure it is. I don't know if she doesn't want to be a burden or if she doesn't want people to interfere. And I think she feels that they're interfering. Well, she thinks they're interfering because she she wants to believe that she can still be independent. And, and these people won't let her prove it. Right. Because let's remember, she gets very upset when they don't give her something to do. Like she's gotten upset before when somebody asks Gail to do something for them and she and Gail can't do it. And the person's like, oh, well, I guess I can't do this. And Audrey's like, I'm right here. I can help. Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't you believe that I can do this? Right. Like, I think that's that's the reason why that one time she was babysitting Sam is because Nick asked Gail to do it and Gail couldn't do it. And Nick was like, oh, well, I'm not going to be able to do this thing. And Audrey's like, no, I'll watch him. I can watch him. Are you sure, Gran? Yes, that's fine. 
I don't think she would make this attempt if she just wanted to get away from her family. You know, she would, she would move. She would mm. go somewhere. Because um. that doesn't, because I, I think it's for the, I think it's, it's grounded in not, in recognizing that she's not able to do the things that she was able to do before and not wanting to be a burden. See, I don't think that she's accepted that yet. I don't think she's I even think aware she's, of that. I, I think she's aware of it. I don't think she wants anybody else to be aware of it, but I think she's aware of it. Mm. Regardless, it's heartbreaking. And I thought this was just going to be a elderly alcoholism storyline. And for a minute, it looked like it was. And then it seemed that we were determined that that wasn't going to be the case. And I was like, well, that seems like a bit of a missed opportunity. But here, it feels like it's the ante has been upped quite a bit. It's... It's it's more and it's more complex than that now. Yeah, and see, I think my problem with with how this has been handled before now is that so much of the storyline up until now has been played for laughs, mm-hmm. and that I think takes away from from what Audrey's going through. I, I think it's quite an effective device of when something is played for laughs and then well, you ain't laughing now, kind of thing. That moment where shit gets serious if it's done right can be quite effective mm. and I, fe- I felt like it was pretty effective because I was shocked by that tonight yeah I was shocked by it too I I was shocked by it but I wasn't surprised if that makes sense mm. it was shocking to see her in that wee bed and her voice to be so shaky but yeah. the way that she was acting the shakiness that she was already experiencing the fact that she wasn't eating she wasn't talking and she seemed out of it even before then. And when she left the salon and she shut the door, I was like, it looks like she's about ready to keel over right there. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well. Oh, that well. That was the week that was Coronation Street. What was your moment of the week? <sighs> Kelly and Addie finally getting their date and eating sweet, sweet samosas. You're making that face. Yeah, I'm not going for that. What are you going for? Well, I feel like I had to be those final scenes with Audrey. See, I kind of feel like that's going to be the big, huge storyline next we've, week. We've been caught with this before. Where, where you have said that'll be a moment of the week next week and then fuck all happens in that or it's really disappointing. So I think we need to live in the moment all a right. little bit more. Okay, all right, fair enough. So Audrey in the bed. Uh, well. <laughs> Audrey in the bed saying that she went out for milk. A seemingly suicidal Audrey in hospital after an overdose is shocking and is our moment of the week moment of the week boring moment of the week hmm the kidnapper <laughs> telling Kelly to fill her boots with her own shit was it Daniel <laughs> uh, no. I thought it might have been Kev's fury at uh, pure Jack's assignment oh yeah that's because uh, <laughs> It was so pointless. It was pointless. Pointless fury. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Kev is our boring moment of the week. Boring moment of the week. Yeah, I think that that, that moment when she, that moment when Audrey says, I have no next of kin, mm-hmm. and even if I did, I wouldn't want to put them through this. I think that's, that was the oofty moment for me in that scene. It's just an actually. I don't have any next of kin, actually. Okay, you just ruined it. Need to work on my audio impression, Don. Too soon. Too soon, Broom. Too soon. I thought I was giving up. 
a, a really good go. Too soon. Okay. If you thought that was too soon, write in to let me know. <laughs> we are the talk of the street at gmail.com and we're at Corey Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can shout me and Helen a coffee by heading to kofi.com. That's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street. Check out the clicky clicky section of vogel.co.uk for links to our merch store and YouTube channel. And if you're so inclined, please leave a rating and a review on the iTunes or your podcast provider of choice. Thanks for making it to the end of another episode. And we will be back next week with more. A talk of the street. The talk of the street. Bye. Cheerio. Yeah.